So one time we were driving back from visiting our Minnesota family, and we were on I-94, coming south of Eau Claire, kind of between Eau Claire and um, Black River Falls. And it was pretty average night, except for maybe a little, little darker out than usual because it was really cloudy. And we come around this bend, and we see this. Has anyone ever seen this on I-94? No? So you don't know what it felt like, what, it, what I felt like that night to be totally weirded out? It's like, what on earth is in the sky? It was super creepy. And we see these, like, purple haze, like, uh, feels like it's out of a movie. Anybody have any guess what it was? It was a farm. Um, <laughs> there's this uh, company called Superior Fresh that they have this massive, like, greenhouse, but then they also have fish, and they have this whole system where, like, they, they have the fish, and what do you call, what do you call it? Is it aquaponics? Yes, hydroponics, aqua, whatever, Pon- some sort of ponics um, <laughs> that <laughs> has to do with water and plants and fish. And uh, so they raise fish, and they have the plants. And, but these, uh, it's pretty cool. If you want to look into it more, you can actually, if you look up, like, the free PBS app, there's, a, like, a Wisconsin stories on this. It's kind of an interesting interesting thing. Um, but those, the purple that we saw in the sky, those are the grow lights in order to get those, those plants to grow. And, and probably because of the fact that it was so cloudy, you know, normally those lights would disperse pretty well, but the cloud cover was so low that it was so bright in the sky that it was, it was weird. But they had the purple lights because the light was necessary for the growth. Because that's typically how it goes. Not that every light that you will see for growth is, is purple, but you know, as we see today, we have the bright sunshine. For most things in our world, light is necessary for life and for growth. You might have those few things like mushrooms and stuff that, you know, hang out well in the sh- shade, but for the most part, light helps bring life and it helps things grow and thrive. And it's not just true for plants, it, it's true for, for people too. We need light, sunshine is good for us, but even more than that, we need God's light on our lives. But unfortunately, we have a tendency to stay in the darkness, to stay out of the very thing that can help us grow and live and thrive. We have a tendency to not embrace the life God has really given us and to really embrace the light he's given us. Thankfully, we're moving forward into this new sermon series that can help us embrace the life God has given us. We're in the season of Lent, which is a season of preparation, where you prepare your heart to really embrace what Jesus has done on the cross, and to really prepare your heart to get ready for the resurrection, for Easter Sunday. So during this season, Christians often talk about repentance, and we, we talk about our sin and lay it before, before Jesus. Unfortunately, sometimes, though, that comes off like Lent is the time to beat yourself up and to feel bad about your sin and actually to kind of feel extra darkness. But that's not at all what the season is meant to be about. That's why our theme this season is Lent means love. Lent is really about laying your sins before Jesus so you can embrace just how loved you are by God and just what a difference his love makes for you today and for eternity. So to get us started in this new series, in this new season, we have this lesson today that shows us how love lives in the light. And the lesson we have is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, 
God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Now, as we were reading our background lessons, I mentioned before that we're going to be spending uh, a great deal of time in the letters of 1 John. So we're going to be reviewing this a few times. It's good to just have in our mind where we are in God's word and, and kind of what the backstory is. So you have these letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and we trace them back to the John who wrote the Gospel of John, the John who is referred to as the disciple Jesus loved in the Gospel of John. Although when you read through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's interesting. 1st John mentions John, but 2nd and 3rd, he actually refers to himself as the elder. So if you're reading through, you're like, wait, where's John here? That's the title he is using uh, for himself. As you look at this, he's probably overseeing some house churches at this, or he's overseeing some house churches at this time, probably in Ephesus, and he's combating some issues. You have people who have left the church or at least are trying to fight against the church who are denying that Jesus is the true God. They are really generating some hostility. And so this is written to really combat that and to do some damage control here. Now, as we think about what is written, these letters are really unique in their style, at least when it comes to letters. They don't work like a typical letter. They're actually composed more like a, like a sermon or more like, a, like an essay. Instead of being linear where you make one statement, then you go to here, then you go to you know, you know, point A to point B to point C. In John's, gospel, or John's letters here, what he does is he uses a method called amplification where you hit a theme and then you come back and you hit it again and then you cycle through it and hit it again from a different angle or a different perspective. You kind of keep going over it building on it, adding to it, to really hit it home. In doing so, there's a lot of repetition. Sometimes there's hyperbole, where there's some kind of overstatements maybe in a way. There's some really strong contrast to really clarify the point. And as you look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you see that these ideas, really, you can see that it's John writing again because the Gospel of John message really comes out in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A lot of it comes from what Jesus said the night he was betrayed, but also you see a lot of it from the early parts of the Gospel of John. For instance, if you go back and read the beginning of the Gospel of John, it talks about how in him, so in Jesus was life, and how that life was the light of men. This idea, we're going to see it come up in our lesson today, it's something you see often in First Second, or you see being a, a kind of core idea in First John. So let's kind of lay this out here. And in your worship folder, I've got areas where you can take notes again. I didn't leave a lot of space on the top um, underneath the text. But if you want to write this in um, here fairly small, it could be helpful. In John's gospel and in 1 John, you have a stark contrast between light and dark. So right, light versus dark. You have this big battle. This is one of those strong contrasts. But then maybe write a little arrow underneath light, or however you can fit it in well there, and connect light to life. 
In John's Gospel and in 1 John here, light and life are directly connected, which I guess when we think about how we introduced this talking about light at the, the, the farm, at the greenhouse, light is necessary for life to grow there. That makes a lot of sense. Light and life are connected, and then darkness and death are connected. And when you think about death, remember to think more broadly than just the inability to breathe. When you think about death, biblically, death is the inability to really be what God created you to be. That's why even though Adam and Eve didn't stop breathing initially, immediately when they ate the fruit, they were immediately incapable of living the way they were meant to live. Think like a cell phone. When the battery is at zero, your cell phone has died. Didn't stop breathing. It didn't go away, but it can't function the way it's supposed to. So think about death in those ways. Light versus dark. Light connected to life. Dark connected to death. Also, when you read those first four verses of 1 John, which we read as a background gospel lesson. If you read those verses, and then if you were to go back and read the beginning of John 1, you could see it's just so similar. You can see that that connection there, that it's very much rooted in what was started in the gospel of John. Okay, now with this backstory, with this kind of background in our mind, that we have, have John's letters here that really don't function as much like letters. It's this amplification method that you have these roots in the gospel of John. Now it can help set us up to get into our lesson today where we see that love lives in the light. As we get into the lesson, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Here we see this light versus dark contrast right away. You have God who is light. He is life. And so that stands completely opposite of darkness and death. God is the source of life. He is distinct and separate from death. Seems pretty straightforward. That, 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 that makes sense to us. But now understanding that light and dark are separate and life and death are separate, now John brings in a pretty significant statement. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. That word fellowship is connected to a concept we talked about some last week. Is that as a Christian, God didn't just call us out of our sin and bring us out of our sin to have a relationship with him. That's where it starts. But we read in that letter from Peter that God has made it so we can be participants in the divine nature. Which, again, is one of those things that you just can spend a lifetime and should meditating on. What on earth does that even, like, wow, that's amazing. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? That's what we're called to do. And that's what this word is, is really bringing out. So, if you claim to participate in the divine nature, and if God is light, but if you participate in the darkness, well, you've got a situation. Because if God is light, and his divine nature is light, and that stands in contrast to darkness then if we are claiming to participate in the light but walking in the darkness, we have an issue. The two are separate. You can't claim to be participating in one while participating in the other. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. By the way, as we go through this, you may notice that often when we go through the scripture lessons, we go through it really verse by verse. There's going to be a bit more jumping around in 1 John, and it has to do with that cyclical pattern. Because John hits something in one verse, and then he hits it again, and then he hits it again a few verses later. We're going to kind of jump a little bit more. So that's why it won't be quite as linear as we typically go. John says, if we, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if you are saying you want to partner with God, but then you're walking in darkness, there's an issue. But now if you claim that you aren't sinning, there's also an issue. He says the truth isn't in you. Or actually the way the words read in original language, there's a picture here that, that makes it just very plain. It makes sense. The word truth literally means not hidden. That which is not hidden. And the way it reads that phrase, it doesn't say the truth isn't in you. It says that you don't make or do truth. Okay? So if truth is that which is not hidden, and if you take your sin and hide it, well, you're not in the truth. Because truth would be that it's not hidden, right? It's out here in the open. If you take your sin and you hide it, it's not the truth. I love the word pictures in the Greek language because it makes it so simple. The sin of yours, God knows you have it. If you bring it back here, you're not living in the truth. And, actually, you're calling him a liar because he says you have sin. So here we have this issue we can't participate with, with, with God or say we are while living in sin or living in the darkness. But then if we claim that we don't have any sin, then we're also living in the darkness. What do we do with this? Well, thankfully, our lesson is here to show us how love lives in the light and how we're able to do that. But before we look at how we can live in the light, I want to ask you to ponder and think for a moment. What keeps me or what keeps you in the dark? What, and you can note this down maybe in your worship folder too if you want to or if you want to keep it inside, you can. But what makes it so that we don't bring our sins out before God? And what makes it so we go and we hide it back here? And, well, you have a thought? Sure, go ahead. Embarrassment. embarrassment. It's embarrassing to, for, to admit our sins. Yeah, that could be part of it. Anybody else have any ideas? What else? What makes it so we can hide back? Yes, Lindsay. Shame. Shame? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking actually about this this morning is, is when, when you have something that you're hiding, it makes people wonder what's back there, right? And if somebody thinks you're hiding something that's maybe not good, that means that they are suspicious of you. And if you are living with the constant feeling that people are suspicious of you, what does it create often? Shame. Or paranoia. Or fear of being found out, right? Yeah. What keeps you in the dark? Yes. Rejection from God? Yeah, you know, because actually, 
what do we say first? If God, God says, if you, if you claim to have partnership with him, but yet walk in the dark, and we typically would associate sin with darkness, if I confess my sin to God, doesn't that mean that I'm not going to be able to have partnership with God? God calls out sin, so if I confess my sin, that's a problem, but now this is saying, if I hide my sin, that's a problem. That's a tough situation to be in. All right, if I confess it, well, that means that I'm confessing that I've been walking in darkness, but then if I hide it, then I'm walking in darkness. <sighs> okay. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Pride. Yeah. It's hard to admit that we didn't do something well. That can be part of it, so we want to, you know, everybody wants to, you know, be, be the strong strong one, doing well, but also like we want to try to fix it ourselves, you know, we don't want to ask for help, pride can show up that way, sometimes, and it's weird how pride can, I know, uh, I think I've shared this, but it was a while ago, sometimes I've had it where I recognized I had a sinful thought pattern or something, and then I, I had something I wanted to pray about, and I felt like I couldn't, for a while, it's like almost until like my sin wore off a little bit, where I did some good things until I could. And I realized that was a really dumb way to think, but I think we do it. Like, oh, I just sinned. So I, how can I ask God for help when I just turned away from God? So we hide. We hide back here. And we keep it in the dark. But when we keep things like that in the dark, what happens? when you keep things in the dark? What happens to you? Or what happens to your relationship with God? Disconnected, yeah. Yeah, where'd that come from? All right, yeah, thank you. And there's a barrier here, right? Like, this is, there literally is a barrier between you and God, and you can get disconnected with him. What else? What happens when you're hiding, when you're in the dark? Yes, Crystal. Yeah, when you're back here and you're separated from your, you know, one of the things in winter that's so hard is the lack of light can cause depression, right? The lack of light from God, it separates you from him. Yeah. That's part of why in Psalm 51, when David prays, create me a clean heart, O God, he goes on to say, restore to me the joy of your salvation and the wonders of your love. He was getting eaten up by his sin. Yeah. Yes. Oh, your focus is staying with the problem? Yeah, yeah. And then you're trying to fix the problem back here by yourself? Oh, and while trying to fix the problem, but you don't want anybody to notice? Kind of like a kid texting on their phone at their desk at school. Like, you know? I don't know, but maybe they don't even care anymore. But I just, if it was me, I'd be like super guilty, but I'd be trying to... We kind of do that with our lives, right? Like, I got this thing. Hi! Yeah. What else? Yeah. We justify it. Or we could justify it. Yeah. We're going to be justifying it back there, and then we can be living in it. But then it's corrosive. It's bad. It's, it's you know, the thing, God didn't just give us, he didn't give us laws because they were fun. They're not just rules for a game. One of the most helpful things my wife said to me when I was a teenager, she said, I want you to know that when I have law, like when I have rules for you, it's not because I'm a fun hater. 
Like, I don't hate fun. I just want you to be safe. Well, that's logical. Like, okay. Like, God's the same way. Like, God's law is not because God's a funny. I'm going to put these arbitrary rules right here that I don't want you to break. And if you do, you, you, you lose the game. God created life to work a certain way. When you don't follow it, it causes damage. Makes sense. Okay. So we have these things that keep us in the dark. And then we have these bad things that happen in the dark. But love lives in the light. And this lesson today shows us how we don't have to stay in the dark. How we can come out. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And we've been talking some recently in some recent lessons about how the word faithful or the word faith and the word trust are like two sides of the same coin in Scripture. And so if God is faithful, that means he is trustworthy. And a few weeks ago, we had this beautiful picture of how, you know, say when a little child is held up by their parents or by an adult, and, and they're smiling, they're having a fun, even having a, such a fun time being lifted up in the air. They're not terrified that they're going to fall. They are completely convinced that they've got me, right? This is the idea of how we can be with God. We're complete, we can be completely convinced he's got us. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. But then there's this word that he is just. And that's the one that goes, okay, he's trustworthy, but if he's just, and I did something wrong, what does that mean needs to happen for what I've done wrong? It's got to be consequences, right? Isn't that how justice works? Okay, so I can count on God to be just and there to be consequences. Well, that gives me all the more reason to stay back here because if I bring it out there, then I'm going to be in trouble. But wait a minute, if I stay back here, then I'm in trouble. Okay, what do I do? I have this conundrum. But here's the amazing thing about God, and we read this in that background lesson from Isaiah. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. God's justice is not just connected with his desire, with his his wanting to set things right by punishing sin. That's one part of justice. That if there's a wrong, there has to be a consequence that kind of balances it out. That's why we have these scales for as an image for justice. But it's also, apparently, God's heart is that that justice also includes setting things right between us. That God has a, has a, a on his heart and has a plan to make us right with him. And that's why our lesson, it, it says that God will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you come before God, when you take whatever's been back here and you bring it out in the open... We can trust that he will forgive us. And that forgiveness literally means he will let go of whatever it was. So he's not going to hold it against you. Or you think of, say, if there's like a a debt that you owe someone, this is a biblical picture here, that, that he will release you from that debt. Whatever guilt it was that was on you is released. Whatever shame it was that was there is released. Whatever it was that was holding you back from him, that was that barrier that disconnected you, is released. You can trust that when you bring it out before him, he will let go of your sin, of what's been keeping you in the dark. And he will purify you. In the Old Testament, God 
made this really clear picture of how this would work. They, he gave them all these sacrifices that they would do. And then when they would sacrifice these animals, it was a reminder that there needed to be consequence for sin, but God would provide a substitute who would take the consequence for that sin, pay for it, and then their life, in a way, would cover over you. So you could be clean and pure, no longer covered in dirt and darkness, but you could step into the light. Those images from the Old Testament set up what Jesus would do and what we are reminded of in the season of Lent. There was a debt that we owed, but this is how God's justice is, his justice combined with his love. God says, I'm a just God. There's got to be consequence for sin, but here's what I want to do. I'm going to have that consequence. I'm going to absorb that. God the Son said, I'm going to come into this world, and I'm going to pay the debt that you owe. So it doesn't have to hold you back. I'm going to lay down my life and die so my blood can cleanse you from all of your sin. So not only will things be set right in that your sin has been punished, but you can also be set right with God. All this that's been back here, all these things you've been holding back, all those things that are hesitant, that are hard to, to bring out, when you bring them out and put them before God, God says, well, Jesus already paid for that. Jesus already did it. But what about this thing back here, though? Like, can I really, like, you know, think about how, how foolish it is in a way to have something back here and to try to figure out the problem when it's already solved out here. You know, like, I've got this thing I'm here, I'm trying to fix, I'm stressing out about it, I'm carrying the guilt for it. And Jesus is just out here saying, just bring it out here, I already got it. It's already paid for. Jesus paid the debt, he's cleansed you, and that's why you can live in the light. You have this conundrum, Jesus says, I've taken it. Whatever is back here, bring it out, it's already paid for. Justice for that sin, you're cleansed before God. Live in the light. And when you live in the light, you can have that fellowship with him. We were just talking about the word pure, being purified. That word is, and I'm going to borrow this some if you, you know, those, those Bible project videos we watch, they often use that sometimes phrases in the Bible are like a hyperlink. If you ever have a, a, a link, like in an email where the words are like in blue, or sometimes when we do our church emails, they'll be in all caps, bold words, and it says like, click here, right? And it takes you somewhere. The word purify takes you back to the Old Testament. So when you think about that idea of being purified, remember in the Old Testament, there is this worship area this, in the center of the, of the worship area that was the most holy place. That's where God's presence was like dwelling the most. And in order to even come near in proximity to that, you had to be ritually clean. You had to be purified. Purified from anything related to death, whether it be sin or other things in the world. And the priests, before they could serve, had to be purified. Well, remember, in this season, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross. One of the details is that when he gave up his life and died, do you know what happened at the temple? Do you anyone remember what happened when the earthquake happened? There is a big curtain that separated that most holy place from the rest of it. And that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. 
So that what separated people from God? It's torn wide open. So you can have full access into the presence of God. But not only that, so you can know that the goodness and glory of God is now free to exist upon you and in your life. The light from the holy place is shining out into your life and into your world. And that's what you could step into today. You can participate in the divine nature of God. You can experience the warmth of his light shining on you. Knowing you are clean, you are clear, it's paid for. There's nothing back here to hide because it's all gone. The wall is down. You can have partnership with him, fellowship with him, and it also can help us have fellowship with one another. This is one of the great things about the Christian faith is that even though sinful people will sometimes act like somebody's better than another person, the reality is we're all here in the same boat. Not a one of us is better than the others. Right? We all have the same issue. We're all sinful people. We have the same problem. It's a great equalizer. Looking around, we're all here. To, we're in this together. You got shame, so do they. You got guilt, so do they. But then here's the great thing, too. Your sin's taken away, so is theirs. You're clean in God's sight, so are they. And it's this great unifying factor that we can just, we're all in the same boat with the same issue, but the same solution. You're baptized into Christ, clothed with his perfect life, so are they. You're going to take his body and blood in the Lord's Supper and be united to him, so are they. And then you're united with them too. It's beautiful. So we can be honest not only with God, but with each other about our shortcomings, because they have them too. I've heard a famous pastor who was one of his famous quotes is that, that we, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with them through our weaknesses. We can connect with each other through our weaknesses because we don't have to put on a face. We can just lay them out there, embrace who we are in Christ, and connect together. Which leads me to this picture of a sun that's in your worship folder. And I hope it's big enough in your worship folder so you can do this if you're the note taker. Here's the idea. With these questions, what keeps me in the dark and what happens in the dark? What does this lesson shine into those questions so that you don't have to be in the dark anymore? And if you think about what shines into those, my thought is that you could write some of these things on these sun rays coming out. What from this lesson shines into the dark places in your life so you don't have to stay in the dark anymore and so you don't have to be affected by it that way anymore? Probably start with the fact that this lesson's about God's love, right? Maybe write that in the first summary, that you are loved. What else? What does this lesson shine into the dark places of your life? That you are forgiven. Or maybe to put it in the words of the text here, that your debt is paid. Or maybe, maybe you write, I can let go of it. Because he has. What else? How about that he's trustworthy? You can trust him to let go of it. Here's another one. He already knows. <laughs> you know, I find that helpful sometimes. He's like, oh, you feel like holding something back. Why? He knows about it. And he is trustworthy. He will not only let go, but he will cleanse you. That's another one. He cleanses you. 
you can partner with him. God wants to partner with you. He has compassion on you right where you are. And he wants to work in you throughout this life until that day that you have eternal life. You have life. Maybe that's another one. I can thrive. I can be who God created me to be today and for eternity. I don't know. Keep, maybe this day, today, you take it home and you look at it again. What else? What about being cleansed before God? What about being forgiven shines into my dark places? And as you remember what those things are, as you meditate on what those things are, know the barrier is gone. You don't have to live in the dark because Lent means you are loved and love lives in the light.